Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Blind Spots. Sometimes I feel like I'm a radio announcer when we start these things, but I am fired up and excited for this episode because we're talking about taxes and nothing gets retirees going like tax talk. Politics and taxes. People love that. People love Mm -hmm. talking hot politics, hot tax talk. So this is going to be a good one because our friend Toby here at Peer Portfolio sent us a really fun article this week that the headline was, I'm retired and thrilled to be earning 5% interest on my savings, but I just realized how much I'm going to pay in taxes. Yeah. So Nick, why don't you just give us kind of the overview of, of what interest rates have done in the last year, year and a half? Because if you're living under a rock, you probably don't know what has been going on. I think most people know that interest rates have gone up, but what people might not know is this was the most aggressive interest rate interest rate hiking campaign from the Fed in like 40 years or something. So starting in March of 2022 in an effort to squash out inflation, the Fed embarked on a very aggressive rate hiking campaign, which once the dust settles, once they're done, it looks like they're they're close to the end. That's a good thing for savers and investors, not such a good thing for borrowers. Uh, But going back over the last 10 years, coming out of the financial crisis, think 2009 on, interest rates were historically low, and it really punished retirees, savers, and investors, those wanting to generate investment income off their portfolio or have a friendly place to park idle cash. Income, fixed income, finally has income. There's a reasonable place to park your money, a safe place, and generate a meaningful return, which comes with, which is mostly good, but it, it comes with the caveat, hence the, the thrust of this podcast, that that income is, is not free. It's taxable. But there's things you can do, things you can think about to mitigate some of that tax drag. You want to touch on total return? first and how we look at total performance and how interest rates now being higher have changed what that looks like? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are freaked out about rates going higher, but it, it, it is actually a decent thing for investors, especially if you're a bond investor or bonds make up a, a decent chunk of your portfolio, because think back to 2016. Right. If, if we're talking about the total return equation, where part of it is income, right? think dividends and bond interest income, which was basically zero back in 2016, let's call it a half of 1%, plus the appreciation of the assets equals total return. So in 2016, that equation was very little income, meaning if we're targeting a total return of 7%, let's say, most of that 7% had to come from the appreciation of the assets, meaning your stocks, bonds, or real estate, or whatever you own going up in value, okay? That's very unbalanced. Now, once the Fed stabilizes, which again, they're close, we, we might be able to get 3% on the income side. So dividends plus bond interest income of 3%, and that's 
all investment grade stuff. And I'm being conservative here. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to paint uh, a picture. So three percent on the income side in 2023. Mm -hmm. That means we only need three or four percent on the appreciation to reach that total return of six to seven percent. So it's a much more balanced, more traditional, more favorable equation. Uh, as opposed to this low interest rate regime, which a lot of people got used to that. That really wasn't normal. This is more of a a normal market environment from a interest rate standpoint. Sure, it's painful to go from zero to five and a half percent on the Fed funds rate in a period of 18 months. Things tend to break, like we saw some regional banks break. But once that stabilizes and the Fed has um, made it clear that the that the battle against inflation is over, that they're going to pause or maybe even cut, like that's that's a good spot to be because you'll be able to clip a decent amount on your fixed income portfolio when that wasn't the case over the past five to 10 years. So going back to the article that Toby sent us and talking about how these higher interest rates are going to affect your taxes because higher interest rates equals higher income, higher income, usually means more taxes and that's okay so we're going to just walk you through the different types of fixed income and how they are taxed because it's not straightforward it can be very confusing so we just want to lay it out there so you can kind of get an idea of how you have been invested what type of income you've had over the last year or so and how that might affect your taxes once april 2024 comes around so I can talk on the bond side, and then maybe you can talk on the high-yield savings, the CD, and the money market side. So on the bond mm -hmm. side. Yeah, so well, first I'll say, so we're talking about holding these in a taxable account or a brokerage account. If you just have a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA or 401k, this doesn't apply to you. But this right. is for those a brokerage, brokerage account, account, a bank account, a non-retirement account. So let's start with treasury. So that's been mm -hmm. a really good place to be if you're on the short end of the yield curve. So think one to two years out. So the U.S. Treasury investment income, the bond interest payments to you if you owned a U.S. Treasury bond are taxable at the federal level. Okay. They are not taxable. That interest income is not taxable at the state level. So if you live in Oregon, you're going to pay federal taxes on your Treasury interest income. You're not going to pay Oregon taxes on your Treasury investment income. Which is nice. That keeps it Nice and fair for those who live in a, a state tax right. state. Muni bonds. Okay, so tax-free bonds. Think you're buying a state of Oregon bond, a city of Gresham bond, Multnomah County bond, a TriMet bond, right? Those are exempt. That interest income is exempt from federal. And if it's an Oregon muni bond and you live in the state of Oregon, it's ex also exempt from state, Okay. So muni bond gets the best of both worlds. You're exempt from federal and exempt from state. And that's just an incentive so people allocate their capital to those types of bonds. Now, since it's tax-free, since the investment income is tax-free, let's say U.S. Treasury yields are at percent, your tax-free muni bond might be 3.5% or 4% even. But if you're in a higher tax rate, higher tax bracket, even that lower yield, you can come out better after tax once once you adjust for taxes. So there's a there's a breaking point. It's different for everybody depending on your tax rate. If it's higher, muni bonds might make more sense. If it's lower, then treasury bonds or even corporate bonds might make more sense. 
The fancy word for that is tax equivalent yield. And if your advisor isn't talking to you about this, sure, maybe consider now, finding another a caveat advisor. with mini bonds. A lot of our clients, I'd say at least half, live in Oregon. Oregon's a small state. There's not a ton of supply of Oregon mini bonds. What's out there, you probably wouldn't want to buy. So it's not uncommon for us to buy a muni bond for an Oregon resident in a different state. So think California or Washington or Texas or Florida. We, we buy bonds in states that people want to live, that have a population base, that have good schools, that have a corporate footprint, that are investment grade. So if you bought one of those, if you live in Oregon, you bought one of those in a different state, again, exempt from federal, you would have to pay Oregon taxes on the investment income. Why yes. don't you talk about bank accounts like CDs, money market, and high-yield savings accounts, which are a thing now? Yeah, so a lot of banks have been sending out emails, flyers in the mail to um, incentivize you to bring some cash over to them uh, because they will offer you a little bit higher yield than what they have in the last couple of years. So CDs have become popular again. However, these are going to be taxable on the federal level. And if you live in a state like Oregon that has state income tax, they will be taxable on the state level as well. Similar to savings accounts or money market mutual funds or just money markets, those are also going to be federal at the taxable level and the state level. So if you live in a state like Oregon, again, with state income tax, you might consider the differences in you know, the yield that you're being offered between say a, a US treasury or a CD. Because those have been pretty close in, um, you know, in their interest rate. So you could a save couple things on the, on the tax side there. bank side, credit union side, if you're parking money at a bank in a CD, a money market, or a high-yield savings account. One, the institution is seldom going to lead with their highest-yielding products. So if you have a branch that you go to, if you have a banker that you know, you would need to call them to really get the good stuff. And this is especially true if you work with a big Wall Street bank. They are notorious for paying very little, but they want to lend at the current market rate, and they make that spread. If they pay out a modest, very paltry amount on their deposits, they're making 7% on their mortgage lending, that's, that's, a, that's a healthy spread. So you need to ask your personal banker. The second thing is be wary of your bank, meaning... Some of these smaller credit unions and regional banks have some balance sheet issues. And if someone's advertising an above market rate, don't be blinded by that. That, that could signal some capital issues, meaning if someone, if market rates are at 5% and your credit union is offering 8% on a checking account, that to me is a major red flag. That means they're thirsty for capital. They're trying to attract capital. So there's FDIC DIC limits for a reason. I wouldn't go overboard with some of these smaller regional or credit credit unions. If you work with a larger bank, right? A big Wall Street bank, you probably don't need to worry about that. Okay? And then the third thing is the third thing is as Aaron alluded to, investing oh, nice. in US treasuries and muni bonds in a non-retirement account are often better from a yield standpoint and often better from a uh, tax standpoint, right? because you get tax breaks, either exempt from federal, exempt from state, or exempt from both. 
those money markets, those banking products, you're going to get taxed on everything. So just be mindful of that. Uh, I think that's a pretty good guideline because we do get a lot of cash management questions because this really is a new thing. Like if you're, if you're 35 years old, you probably haven't been an adult during a higher interest rate regime. So this is all new for a lot of people. It's a, uh, Again, it's more of a normal market environment, but, but with a little optimizing the things you can control and taking the low-hanging fruit, you can generate generate uh, some better yield and income while not really getting gouged on taxes. So let's talk about how you might get gouged on taxes. So aside from the obvious of, let's say you make $100,000 a year, you're going to get taxed on all of that. If you have extra interest income from interest rates being higher, that's going to be added to your taxable income for the year. So depending on what kind of fixed income it is, we've just gone over how that might be taxed. Here are some two other very popular areas that the extra income might affect over and above just extra income tax. So if you are retired and you are on Medicare, you are very familiar with all of the different Medicare parts and Medicare Part B can have a Part B premium increase if your income is above a, a certain level. So I will just give you the quote for 2023 to give you an idea of how this might change. So if you file a joint tax return and your income in 2021 was 194000 or less, you just pay the base premium of $164.90 a year. Everyone's probably pretty familiar with that. If your income is above $194,246,000, there is a Part B premium where your premium each month will go up to $230.80. So you, there's a pretty decent jump there. So it's just something to be aware of if you are in one of those higher income levels in retirement and you are on Medicare, this is just something to think about. I tried to listen, but my eyes Any comments on Nick? the back of my head. Hey, the other place that you might think about to be a little bit more tactical is on Social Security. So Social Security is typically either taxed, 50% of it is added to your taxable income or up to 85% of it can be added to your taxable income. So in 23, if you have combined income, meaning all of your income sources, more than 44000 a year and you file a joint tax return, you can expect to pay up to 85% of your Social Security payments, or excuse me, you can expect to pay taxes on up to 85% of your Social Security. So 44000 is relatively low in terms of total income, but if that is a threshold that you are close to or nearing, your interest income may put you at that or above. So it's just something to be conscious of. So check your tax brackets, check Medicare brackets, check where you're at in terms of social security income, total income, and see if that is something that you will be affected because of the extra interest income. So Nick's eyes are coming back around full front. So why don't you talk a little bit about asset location Okay, so there's two main leaks that I see, and this can save you a ton of money on your taxes. So let's say you have a, a retirement account of $500,000 and a brokerage account, a after-tax account of $500,000, all right? 
half and half, a million dollars total. And let's say you're a you're a 60-40 investor, meaning 60% stocks and 40% bonds, and, and you want to generate some investment income. Let's say you want to live off the interest or take out three or 4% of your total portfolio value each year, and you have an interest in dividend investing and bond investing. Obviously, bonds are 40% of your portfolio. I see investors using income type strategy. So think dividend investing, bond investing, maybe REIT investing or real estate investing, uh, master limited partnership, closed end bond funds, strategies that are meant to generate dividend income and invest or uh, bond interest income. But they do that in their brokerage account. Okay. So every, I mean, dividend investing is hardly the worst sin. It's not a sin at all, actually. But if you do it in the wrong type of account, there's no way to shelter dividend income from taxes if it's in a brokerage account. Okay. So that's the first thing. Targeting income strategies in a non-retirement brokerage account. You're just saddling yourself with taxable gains uh, when you don't really need to. Okay. Target your income strategies if indeed that's something that you'd like to do. So dividend and bond investing in your IRA. So any theme or any strategy that spins off outsized investment income, potentially do that in your IRA because all of that income is tax deferred. You're not paying any taxes on that year in and year out. Okay. If you do want to do bond investing in your taxable account, which does make a lot of sense because a lot of people want that liquid, they can control the tax impact of drawing money out of those brokerage accounts. Use tax exempt muni bonds if your tax rate is high enough and work with your financial planner to figure out that tax equivalent yield and what tax rate makes sense to buy muni bonds, what tax rate makes sense if it's low enough to buy more taxable bonds, if that makes sense. Okay. The second leak that I see, and this is a big one, is investing in mutual funds in a brokerage account. These could be bond mutual funds. These could be equity mutual funds, REIT mutual funds, any type of mutual fund. Mutual funds, potentially at the end of the year, even though you're not doing anything, let's say you just want to own these mutual funds, can trigger capital gains and they saddle the shareholder. They saddle you, if you're a mutual fund owner in a taxable brokerage account, they saddle you with capital gains, which are taxable. And in many cases, folks are getting hit with dividend income, income themes in their brokerage account, plus the mutual fund capital gain distributions. And it can, it can be sizable. I've, I've seen people get hit with five, 10, 15, $20,000 tax bills, and it all could have been avoided simply by owning income producing securities or strategies in a tax deferred IRA and then getting rid of their mutual funds. And the best part is this doesn't take any hot take. You don't need to predict what the market does next. This is simply optimizing the things you can control. You can control your taxable investment income. You can control where you own certain assets. It's called asset location. And a savvy advisor can do that for you. That's something that we do for our clients every single day. So for the person who maybe isn't as sophisticated on the investment side and is wondering if their advisor is doing this, I think one really obvious way to know if your advisor is doing this is to look at your holdings in all of your different accounts. Let's say you have a Roth, you have a traditional IRA, and you have a taxable account. If your asset allocation looks exactly the same in every single account, or if you have the same exact holdings 
of the same allocation in every mm-hmm. single account, it's probably a, a pretty good clue that this, this is not happening for you. Okay, so to wrap up the taxes conversation, we recognize that taxes touch virtually every part of your financial life. And we wanted to kind of beef up our offering on the tax side. So we decided to partner with Plan, which is just a new software that helps us analyze taxes and give better tax advice. We are not CPAs, so we cannot give tax advice, but where your investments and financial plan is concerned, we can help decipher what opportunities you might have on the tax side to help limit or mitigate your tax liability. So that's a quick rundown on Holista Plan. If you want an extra deep dive on your tax return, we can look at your previous year's tax return or after you file your taxes next year, we can run that through our software and we can help give you extra tax advice, especially if you have several different types of investment accounts or extra cash that you need to deploy. We can help you understand what type of fixed income is best for you in your personal financial situation. Okay. So so the key takeaway is there is a way to optimize that to mitigate taxes. If you have extra cash lying on the sidelines, all right, there is a way to optimize that. You don't have to get gouged from a tax standpoint. So uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out, insight at pureportfolios.com. We've wrote about this. Uh, bond investing can be complex. So don't feel bad. It's very confusing what's taxable, what's not. We're happy to help. 